So we're going to jump into the initiatory. I just I want to read from the Gospel Library so that you know I'm not overstepping. I get very sensitive when we talk about temple. And sometimes people look at me like, Brother Dunford, you are walking on very sacred ground. So I'm going to quote the Gospel Library. Um, if you want to follow along, if you just go to the very root of the Gospel Library, and then pick on or jump to temple and family history and then temple ordinances and then temple endowment if you want to scroll down to an overview this the church publishes for anyone to read when you join the church you receive two ordinances baptism and confirmation likewise the temple endowment is received in two parts in the first part, you will privately and individually receive preliminary ordinances called the initiatory ordinances. And then verse, the next paragraph, in the second part, you will receive the remainder of your endowment in a group setting along with others who are attending the temple. So let's jump into that very first, that initiatory. This is you alone. But before we jump into that, I want to connect five dots today. Now, you may not see how they're connected until the end, so bear with me. But let's connect five important dots to everything that we're going to do in the temple. And then I, I, I'll, I want to show you the significance as they come together. Now, dot number one was what we did last week. Now, there was only one of us that was here. And so let me just give a brief review. Um, the main purpose of the temple is to push us from terrestrial to celestial. Our journey through mortality, like our covenants, are symbolized by a journey through the telestial world into the terrestrial world into the celestial world. Now, those of you who've been to the temple know even anciently they did that. They went from the telestial part to a terrestrial part to a celestial part. The goal of the temple endowment is to get me into the Father's presence in the celestial room. Symbolic of ending up in the celestial kingdom. Now, on my journey to the celestial kingdom, I go through the terrestrial world. All of us live in this telestial world. And I go through the telestial room. Now, here's the thing. In reality... I can't take any telestial things out of that room, can I? How many, how many telestial things can you take into the celestial kingdom? None. Everything that's telestial, you have to leave behind or stay with it. And then we leave the telestial and go into the terrestrial. Now, I would suggest that's the focus of chapel ordinances where we invite the whole world. What's on the outside of this building? Visitors welcome, and we won't, anyone who wants to come can come because the focus of this building is to invite us to get out of the telestial room and into the terrestrial room. And we all need to do that, everyone in the whole world. But then we go to a place where those who have taken the next step can focus on that next step. The purpose of temple ordinances is to push me from terrestrial to celestial. And that's what we focused on last week. So if you will look for that in every temple ordinance, in every part of the temple endowment, 
what is the terrestrial attitude or sin or transgression that I'm being invited to leave behind and go into the celestial way of living? So point number one is that the temple is an invitation to go from terrestrial to celestial. That's point number one. Now, point number two is that in every single ordinance, I'll just see if I can write this here, in every single ordinance, even sacrament, baptism, temple ordinances, consists of two pieces. It's a token and a covenant. That's what makes an ordinance, a token and a covenant. Now, Heavenly Father doesn't use a lot of words, does he? Even into the baptismal covenant, there aren't a whole lot of words used. Having been, having been commissioned by Jesus Christ, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. So what's the covenant? That's clearly not the covenant. So what the Lord does is he doesn't use a whole lot of words to describe the covenant because he gives us a token. Quite often, the token, the symbolic thing we do, points us to the covenant. So we did one of those last week. What is the token of baptism? Tell me the token. What's the symbolic ritual we go through when we're baptized? Immersion in the water. So tell me what that token tells you that you're covenanting to do. And we, we talked about that. You are covenanting to bury the natural man, to kill the celestial person inside me and bury them, and to come out terrestrial, new. Do you see that the token tells you what the covenant is? Now, we often say that the sacrament is a repeat of the baptismal covenant, right? We don't change the covenant, but what do we change? The token. So what's the token this time? A broken piece of bread. Like my heart needs to break. A cup of water. So it's the same covenant. Do you see what the Lord does in his brilliance? He quite often has us do something that symbolically represents what I'm promising to do. So watch for that in every covenant. What's the token? And what is the token revealing about the covenant? Okay, so point number one is all of these ordinances are pushing me from terrestrial to celestial. Point number two is ordinances consist of a token and a covenant. All right, point number three. Let me introduce this one in the scripture. So turn with me to the introduction of the temple. When the Lord called for a temple, for the very first command to build a temple, it was section 88, verse 119. Section 88, 119, tell me the language he used. He didn't say build a temple. He gave them three verbs. Give me the three verbs. First, he asked them to organize. 
organize. Now, when you went to the temple for the first time, were there parts of your life that needed to be organized? Yes. As a people, in order to build a temple, do we need to organize? We have an entire temple department that organizes the construction of the temple. Clearly, we need to organize ourselves individually and ourselves as a people in order to build a temple. Now, what's the next verb? Organize, prepare. Did you need to prepare to go to the temple? Do we as a people need to prepare to build temples? So organize, prepare, and establish. Now, I like that. As a group, we have to establish the temple. We build them. We actually brick and mortar build them to establish them. But how do I, as an individual, establish the temple? It's a fascinating thought. God asked me to establish his house. How do you, as an individual, establish the temple? Organize makes sense. Prepare, but sometimes we don't think about this one. How have you established the temple? I think one of the ways we do that is we establish a habit of going. There are pictures of temples throughout my house because I want my children to know that in this family, we have established the temple as a significant part of our lives. We are to organize, prepare, hey Bishop, and establish. Now, here's what's fascinating. Notice that those were God to me, right? I am to organize, I am to prepare, and I am to establish. Now, watch what he does with the language when we dedicate the first temple. Go to section 109. 109, and I think this is so significant. I don't think you're going to catch everything that we need to catch in the temple until you notice this truth. He's going to turn every one of those verbs. Let's see if we can find those same verbs. Section 109 is the dedicatory prayer of the Kirtland Temple, which is fascinating. Go to the section heading. Tell me what Joseph wrote about this. Section 109 was given to him. Now, what, what are prayers? This is a dedicatory prayer. So what are prayers? Prayers are what we say to Heavenly Father. And when, what did it just say? Heavenly Father told Joseph what to say to him. You see that kind of interesting twist? Why would that be the case? Why would Heavenly Father reveal a dedicatory prayer? I think it's because Joseph, even Joseph had no idea what this building was all about. So the Lord says, this is what you need to say because you don't fully understand for yourselves. So he revealed the dedicatory prayer. Now watch for our magical three verbs. Watch for him to use those same verbs. Let's go to verse 15. If we build temples, we go in them to grow up in him, to receive the fullness of the Holy Ghost. Where do you get the fullness of the Holy Ghost? It's only in his house. And then notice what the, the, the very next phrase. If you will build a temple, you will... Do you notice the language here? 
be organized. Same verb. If you will organize, you will be organized. You do something, God does something. That's the relationship. Everything that he's doing to you in the temple can be turned around as an invitation for you to do for him. If you will organize your life, you will be organized. Most important day of my life was the day my wife and I went into that building and were organized into an eternal family. Now, I needed to organize my life in order to be there. But once I organized my life, what did he do? He organized my life. See that relationship? You see how temples work? So, let me get you thinking, initiatory. If he's washing my eyes, see where I'm going? If he is washing my eyes, what's implied in that? You catching it? What's implied in that? I need to have washed my eyes. Everything in the temple has that dual relationship. If he's washing my eyes, it's an invitation. If, he's, if I'm being washed, what's implied in that is that I'm doing what? I'm washing my eyes. So if I organize my life, I'm organized into an eternal family unit. Let's find the rest of them. Look at the rest of verse 15. Can you find another verb? If you prepare to enter the temple, you will be prepared to receive everything that you need to receive. You will be prepared. And look at verse 26. Well, for, sorry, 24, not 26. 24. We ask the Holy Father to, what's our missing verb? Establish the people. If you establish, you will be established. If you prepare, you will be prepared. If you organize, you will be organized. Therefore, do you see where I'm going? If you wash what you look at, he will wash what you see. Do you see the, do you see the endowment? Do you see the initiatory? If you will wash what you listen to, he will wash what you hear. If you will wash what you say, he will wash what you are able to say. Do you see the connection? Do you see the magic of that washing beginning to open up before you? If you wash you, you will be washed. Everything that he's doing to me is the be organized. But implied in that is to turn it around and say, I understand what he's asking. I get it. If I'm being washed, I have been invited to wash. Third. You see how they're starting to come together to help us open up the initiatory? 
Okay, let me do one more. Let me do two more. Let me take you to um, how do I do? Let's do these in this order. Let me take you to the Garden of Eden. Let me show you how sin entered the world. The order in which sin entered the world. So turn with me to Moses chapter 4. Moses chapter 4. Now Moses chapter 3 Creation, everything's made. They've commanded, he's been commanded, don't partake of the fruit, all of that. Now go to Moses chapter 4. Verse 12 is where Eve partakes. Give me the verbs. Give me the verbs. Watch this fascinating way sin came into the world. What was verb number one? First we see evil. Where is sin? Where did it start? In my eyes. You're starting to make a connection to initiatory. It started in my eyes. I saw it. I heard it. It starts when I see and hear. Now, where does it go next? After she sees the fruit, tell me what happens next. So where do things become pleasant? What is happening if something's becoming pleasant? What is she doing that made it become pleasant? She's thinking about it. She's thinking about it. It becomes pleasant in our mind. Sin went from my eyes to my thoughts. I'm thinking about it. No one ever does it until they've thought about it. Every sin you've ever committed became pleasant inside your head. First you thought, saw it, then you thought about it. All right, next verb. She saw, it became pleasant, and then? What's the next verb? Verse 12, yell it out. Desire. desire. Next we desire. Where do we desire? Tell me where that occurs. In my heart. So sin has gone from my eyes, my ears, to my head, to my heart. Now I want it. I desire it. Okay, give me the next verb. She takes. We take it. Now, I haven't eaten it yet. I'm just holding it. I'm touching it. I'm clicking. I'm walking towards it. Sin is in my hands. It's in my feet. 
It's in my mouth. It's finding its way. It's gone from my eyes to my head to my heart, and now it's in my hands. It's in my finger when I click. It's in my mouth when I speak. Now, technically, I haven't eaten it yet, but I'm holding it. It's in her hands, her feet, her mouth. And what's the last one? We eat. We consume. We make it part of us. We consume sin. Now, I have become the celestial being I'm trying to avoid. I have consumed it. And anything I consume is part of me, right? So we eat. So tell me, going back to this bullet point, do you see it? We covenant to overcome these in reverse order. What are the ordinances of the chapel? What is he inviting me to do? Where is he asking me to remove sin in the ordinances of the chapel? The death and the burial of the natural man, the breaking of my heart. All the things we talked about last week. What is he saying? Stop doing it. Stop eating. Stop touching. Stop clicking. And stop talking. Stop doing sin. Okay, that's the effort we've made to come into the church. Now we go into the temple. Do you see where he's going to go now? Tell me where he's going to go now. After I stop doing it, now I need to focus where? The whole purpose of every ordinance of the temple is to do what? Stop wanting it, thinking about it, and looking at it. So tell me what it means to wash my eyes. Every single one of you that have been to the temple have been washed so that you can see. But what's implied in the fact that you are being washed? What's implied in the fact that you're being washed? You have to wash something. So when you were washed, you were being invited to promise that you would wash. So why? What, what's happening when you wash your eyes? I want you to think about that act. In a ceremonial act, he is washing my eyes because I am covenanting to wash what I look at. It is a violation of your temple covenants to look where you should not be looking. Now, again, we're all working on this. We don't have to be, we're not celestial today, right? But you see the purpose of the ordinance is to push you from terrestrial to celestial by asking you to do what? Stop looking at it. 
Now to come into the temple and be to come into the chapel and be baptized, he said, "Stop doing it. Stop doing it, and be baptized." Now he comes into the temple and he says, "What? Stop looking at it." So why do I wash my why do I wash my mind? One of the most significant moments in my initiatory washing was when he washed my mind. I will wash so that I can put into your mind incredible things. His promise is that I will put into that mind incredible divine truths. I will wash your mind so that you can be prepared to receive. The only thing that he asks is what? You need to wash what you think about. Do you see the Kevin? Do you see the whole the gospel in one simple little ordinance? On your way to his presence, you need to wash what you think about. And so we make covenants. Lord, I promise I am going to focus on washing what I think about so that you can wash what I think about and put those things into my mind that I desire to see. You see the washing differently now? Do you see the washing differently? Put those four points together. Terrestrial to celestial. I'm doing, a, I'm doing something that points to what the covenant is. When I am washed, it's because I've promised to wash. And finally, I am taking sin and stop, I stopped doing it. Now I'm going to stop. Looking, thinking, desiring, walking towards it. I, I, I'm going to wash my shoulders so I don't hold it up anymore. I'm going to stop holding terrestrial things up. And I'm going to hold up celestial things. So I wash my shoulders. I wash my feet where they take me. I wash my finger what I click on and tap. You see the whole purpose of that? Completely different now. The washing that occurs in the temple. The only one, there's only one person who will know if I'm keeping this covenant, isn't there? That's me. Not one of you will know if I'm keeping my temple covenants because they happen inside me. All right, number five. One last idea here. One last piece of symbolism. Um, and I don't have my big TV, so let me just hold. All right, let me set this up a little bit. So we talked last week about that the chapel is kind of the transition from telestial to terrestrial, right? And we saw that in baptism, the death of the natural man. So I need to kill the telestial part of me. I need to bury the telestial part of me. 
We do it with the sacrament by breaking the celestial part of me, like we break the bread. Jesus took that cup and swallowed it and gave his will. So he surrendered to the will. Remember, he said, Lord, I don't want to do this. Nevertheless, I will surrender to thy will. All of that is celestial to terrestrial. The death of the natural man. So what would come next? We speak in the church about being born again. We're born again when the natural man dies. Natural man dies and I'm born again. So I want you to just picture this image and I can't blow it up any bigger than this, so I apologize, but here's a baby coming out of a mother's womb. Born. What's the first thing you would do to that baby? You would wash it. You would wash the baby, right? So if we come out of baptism, if we come out of the chapel, newly born, what's the first thing that should happen in the temple? We should be washed. Do you see it? Do you see the symbolism? The first thing I would do to that baby is wash it. Now, if that baby, sorry, if that baby is Simba, heir to the throne, or we just saw a coronation of a king, right? Did you notice that Prince William was also coronated? When he was born, he was anointed. If that's Simba, what would we do next after washing him? We'd anoint him. Anoint him as heir to the throne. So what's the second thing that happens in the temple? We're washed and then anointed. Now, what else would you do? Tell me what you would do to this baby. You wash him. If he's heir to the throne, we anoint him. And then you clothe him. You put clothes around him, right? I would put a clothes. Before I handed that baby to mom, I'm going to get him all dressed and snuggled in a blanket. So in the temple, what's the next thing we would do? We wash, we anoint, and clothe. Do you see the symbolism? This is us coming out of... Now, I, somewhere in this building is a baptismal font. And there's the womb. There's the womb I'm again encased in, and I'm coming out of that womb. A newborn baby. And I go to the temple... And the first thing they do is wash me, anoint me, and clothe me. And there is the initiatory. Washed, anointed, starting to see the logic of the initiatory and why we do what we do in what order. So let's put all this together. I made great uh, missionaries knocked on my door. I needed to do a lot of changing. I repented. I had some things I need to get rid of. And I come into this chapel and I go into that baptismal font, once again into that womb, 
and I leave my whole past behind. I covenant to kill the natural man, and I come out of that womb, and I promise to be better. So now the Lord says, okay, the next step is to go into a place where we focus not on telestial to terrestrial, but terrestrial to celestial. And when we go in there, I'm going to do some things to you, and I'm going to ask that you do those same things to yourself for me. So the first thing I'm going to do as you come into the temple as a newly reborn baby is I'm going to wash you. And I'm going to wash specific parts of you. Think about baptismal font washing versus endowment or uh, initiatory washing. Initiatory washing is very tailored to a specific spot. Baptismal washing is just the whole thing, right? And there it is. I am asking you to wash what you look at. Will you look at the things that I look at? Now, I know you're probably jumping to, well, don't look at pornography. Okay, that's great. That's something I shouldn't be looking at. But let me push that a little bit, okay? Let me take you into another part of the temple and say, okay, what do I look at? Um, someday we'll talk about temple symbols. One of the most significant temple symbols is the symbol of the compass. Now, tell me what image comes to mind when I say the word compass. You're probably thinking this, right? But that is not the shape that you wear. That's not the shape you wear. The shape you wear, when we describe the symbol of the compass, looks like this. So let me draw another compass. Does that look familiar? What's that compass? Not a directional compass, but a, a drafting tool. If you look at the symbols we wear, it's a compass and a square. Where do you see those types of symbols? Drafting, drawing. We are his draft. We are being constructed. Now tell me, what do you use these for? Tell me what you use these for. You draw circles with compasses. Now all of a sudden, every time there's a circle, it's because what did you do? You used a compass to point to a center spot and draw the circle around it. The symbol of the compass is suggesting that wherever there's a circle, there's a center point it's pointing to. So there is a moment in the temple where we make a circle. What is the center point of that circle? So tell me what is, this, what is being symbolized by the altar? What was laid on that altar? Who was laid on that altar? That altar is the atonement of Christ. He sacrificed on an altar to give us his life, right? So Jesus is in the middle of that circle. Now, why would we get in a circle? Tell me why a group of people would get in a circle. We're not in a circle today. 
What's the disadvantage of not being? Why would a circle be a better classroom setting than this, the way we're set up? Okay, equal ground is a good one. How else? You guys can't see Taylor, can you? Taylor can see the back of your heads, but I can see all of your faces and all of you can see me, but you can't see each other. So why would we get in a circle? To see each other better. Now, when we are in that circle and I'm looking at you, through whom? Do I see? You just smile. Tell me why. There's the invitation. There's the covenant. Do you see each other through his atonement? Or do you see raw behavior? Now tell me what I am being asked to wash when I wash my eyes. A very practical thing. I am being asked to wash what I see. Do you see each other through his atonement? Or do you see the behavior? Do you see the everyday practicalness of your covenants in the temple? Every day. Wash what you see. And if you do, if you wash what you see, what is he going to do? What is he going to do? I will wash what you see. When you finally see me through his atonement, you will see me. When you see, you're in the Release Society presidency? Hands <laughs> down. <laughs> When the Relief Society presidency sees the women in the Relief Society through the atonement of Christ, they will finally be allowed to see them. You wash so that you are washed. Do you see the covenants of the temple? Every moment of my life are right here in these covenants. Do you see? Do you wash what you see? Do you see through Christ? Let me give you a scriptural example. Turn to Luke chapter 7. This is where I wish I had a big screen. We could all watch it together. But go to Luke chapter 7. So New Testament, Luke 7. Jesus is invited to the home of Simon the Pharisee. Now watch what Simon sees. So, New Testament, Luke 7. All right, let's start in verse 36. One of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment. And stood at his feet behind him weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him, I love the language here, saw it. 
he saw it. He spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman that is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. Tell me what he saw. He saw outward. He saw what she had done. He saw it and called her what? A sinner. Now, back in my day in the 90s, that was the best typo I've ever seen in the scriptures. Can I show you this? It's been corrected, and I, I'm so sad that they corrected it because one of the best typos in all of the scriptures is that word right there. Here's my 1990s scriptures. Do you see that word sinner? What do you notice about it? There's three ends. She was a sinner. So symbolic of what Simon saw. Now tell me the temptation. The temptation for a Relief Society presidency is to see, oh, she is so annoying. I can't believe her. I can't stand when she says that. I am seeing it. Now, your covenant is to wash what you see. And so, Jesus speaks to Simon. And he says, Simon, I have someone to say unto thee. He said, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed him 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose to he, that he to whom he forgave most. And he said, Thou hast rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Four of my favorite words ever uttered by the Savior. Seest thou this woman? Simon saw it. Jesus saw her through his sacrifice. Seest thou this woman? Now that's one small little temple covenant that I wash what I see so that he can wash what I see. And I can stop being so terrestrial and be more celestial. And so if I can be blunt and I'm going to go home and I'll see my wife. Some men see her body. Some men might be tempted to see she didn't clean the house. Drives me crazy when people see that. Some other women might be tempted to see, oh, mother of ten, oh, that makes me feel bad about myself. And so they, do you see it? Or do you see her? Will I go home today and see her through the lens of the atoning sacrifice? Now, take that to everything else we do in the temple. Take that to everything else we wash. If he washes my feet, then the invitation is to wash 
where I let them take me, both physically and mentally and emotionally and spiritually. Where do you let yourself go? Do your feet take you to terrestrial places? Or will you wash where your feet take you? Will you wash your heart? Will you wash what you desire so that he washes you and your desires? Ultimately, we're going to get out of the terrestrial world and we're going to enter his presence because we've become what he is. We see what he sees. We think what he thinks. We want what he wants. We touch what he touches. And that's the journey. When you go home today, see with washed eyes. Think with washed minds. Feel with washed hearts. And as you live that covenant, watch what He washes your eyes to be able to see and your heart to be able to feel. If you wash, you will be washed. And that is my testimony. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.